You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Good evening, everybody. Welcome. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for Monday, the 11th of May, 2020. Thank you for tuning in. On tonight's program, we're going to be looking at, first of all, we're going to go through Psalm 15. We're going to be going through the Psalms. And that is something that I have really enjoyed doing lately. And we've gotten a few emails. A lot of people have really enjoyed that as well. And it's also made some people think about singing through the Psalms, it seems, and uh, that's been really encouraging to me. And um, you might not be, again, you might not be at the point where you're exclusively singing through the Psalms or anything like that, but just start off singing the Psalms. Even if you are a person and you're saying, I love my hymns and all this kind of stuff, okay, we'll start. The Bible still is very, very clear that we are to sing the words of Almighty God. And this is one psalter you can get for about, I think it's like five, six pounds uh, on the Trinitarian Bible Society website. and Or just get it on get it on your tablet or something like that. So we'll be going through that, and that's been really, really encouraging. Uh, what's not been so encouraging is going to be some of the things we're going to be talking about later. And, um, yeah, we're going to be looking at James chapter 3, the tongue, and uh, what really is the problem when it comes to... Uh, What's been going on? I don't specifically want to talk about any particular theory, uh, per se. I, I kind of want to deal in... I might have to bring up some examples uh, that, that might be necessary in order to make my point, but uh, I am not trying to necessarily hone in on one person because this is something where... Uh, this is a general problem. Actually, as we go through Psalm 15, it even talks about not raising an ill report against your neighbor. So uh, it's a serious issue. It's not just something, hey, we uh, we disagree here. If it comes to, uh, before we get into the whole thing about conspiracy theories and all that, are there legitimate conspiracies that are true, that happen? Yes, of course there are. Nobody's denying that. I don't know, nobody should be denying that. And I know a line I would have used personally. See, I used to be, about 10 years ago, I was a conspiracy theorist. And I would have thought this way. And I'm like, wow, you're a, you're a coincidence theorist then. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, you know, I want to just kind of talk about the problem is so much we don't know about history. And the, the things about theories and everything else, we fill in the blanks. And what we've got to do when we're dealing with anything, again, I'm probably shooting, oh, jumping the gun a little bit here, is limit ourselves to the data available and not, pres not presume to know what is going on inside somebody else's brain. Do we all sin in that area? Yes, sadly we do. Um, we all sometimes presume to think we know what's going on some with somebody's motivations. And you know why we're often wrong. But this has become a widespread problem. And 
Yeah. Anyway, so let's open up Psalm 15. We're going to start off there and see if we can be encouraged and blessed by God's word this evening. And feel free in the chat um, to include any... If you got questions, okay, I'm going to try and keep it... Keep it focused. I know I'm talking about especially later, but even Psalm 15, again, I was mentioning there, um, brings up the whole issue of not bringing up an ill report against your neighbor. But let's read Psalm 15. Before we read Psalm 15, I'm going to, uh, we're just going to pray for a second there. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord in heaven, Father in heaven, we pray, Lord, for those listening. We pray for those listening later on. And perhaps through the podcast, we pray, Lord, that the word of the living God may encourage, bless, and Lord, if there's people listening who don't know you, would convict and bring them to you. And Lord, that they would have no peace, these people who don't know you, until they bow the knee to Christ. Oh, Lord, for you are the fountain of living water, and Lord, may their thirst be quenched in you. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 15 reads as follows. This is God's precious and holy word. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle, who may dwell in your holy hill, he who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart, he who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own heart and does not change, he who does not put out his money at usury, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. May the Lord bless his word. First question there, is asking who can come into the presence of Almighty God. Uh, verse 1, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? And also asks pretty much the same question, but in a different way. Who may dwell in your holy hill? And what did God's tabernacle and his holy hill, whether that was in Sinai or wherever else it was, where his presence was who may come into the holy of holies who may dwell with the lord who may enjoy sweet fellowship with him and that should make us all pause it should make us all pause who may i was talking to my girls we were reading this a second ago and for devotions this evening and does any of us truly deserve to be able to come into the presence of God? If we were back in Exodus at the foot of Mount Sinai, would we ever think, I deserve the right to go up to God? No, we're sinners. We have broken, each of us have broken God's law. So who, and it tells us here, verse 2, he who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth 
in his heart. Now, from the point of view of the Christian, this is true from the point of view of fruit. Someone who's been born again, regenerated again of the uh, born again of the of the Spirit of God will produce good fruit. Not perfect fruit. Our greatest deeds are but filthy rags. But we will be different. The difference is before we hated God's word. Now we love God's truth. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth. It's not just some superficial thing. He speaks the truth in his heart, his affections, what he loves to do. He doesn't backbite with his tongue. Actually, I'd be interested to see how this rendered in Geneva there in a second. Nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend. He doesn't listen as we're going to be listening, as we're going to be looking at earlier, later, he doesn't listen to idle gossip, the weapons often used against people we don't like. Um, it actually says in the Geneva 1599, he that slandereth not with his tongue, nor do- doeth evil to his neighbor, nor receiveth a false report against his neighbor. I have not actually had time. Actually, I should look up the, the Hebrew a little bit, whether it should be more friend or neighbor there, but there's the idea of... Uh, Christian is to be characterized. Somebody who's Christ-like is supposed to be someone who does not slander who does not do evil to his neighbor. And we can either do good to our neighbor or do evil toward our neighbor. How do we know what that is? What does that look like? The second table of the law, commandments 5 down through to 10. That is to love your neighbor as yourself. The second table of the law summarized by Christ in the New Testament. And then it says an interesting thing there. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. It's like, hmm, are we, is there a sense in which we are to hate the vile person? In whose eyes a vile person is despised, or in whose eyes a vile person is condemned? They are rightly condemned. And what can we take away from that? We don't take pleasure in the wicked person. Yes, we love them in another sense. We pray for them. We wish for their well-being. We wish for them to come to Christ. Absolutely. We, we, we provide food. We show love in that sense. But we don't take pleasure in the wicked, and in their wicked deeds. And it says, he who swears, verse 4, the second half of it, sorry, we missed a little bit, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He'll honor those who fear the Lord. He who swears to his own heart and does not, excuse me, does not change. He does not put out his money at usury. Now, this was Old Testament Israel, uh, the law in Israel, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. That's obviously still 
um, something we shouldn't do. Um, what is this basically saying? He obeys the law of God. Not perfectly, of course. If we're talking about a Christian, none of us are perfectly like Christ. We are both a sinner and just before God, just by way of justification, by way of judicially, legally, before God, forensically, we are just. However, we still sin. But there is a difference between the unbeliever and the believer. One has been born again of the Spirit of God and will produce good fruit. And here's a very comforting thing for the person who does these things. In, in the end of verse 5, he who does these things shall never be moved. Shall anything separate us from the love of God? Nothing. And if this is the characteristic fruit of your life, then you have greater reason to hope that your faith in Christ is genuine. Now, at the same time, who is this speaking about in an ultimate sense? Do any of us line up to this? Do any of us, can any of us say, I work righteousness? In an ultimate sense, that we... Because the law demands perfect personal obedience. We fail. Every single one of us outside of one, that was Jesus Christ, who, who, who obeyed perfectly in our place. He walks uprightly, works righteousness, and speaks the truth in his heart. In an ultimate sense, this is speaking about Christ. So when we're singing this, we're singing about Christ to Christ in union with Christ, with Christ as intermediator between us and the Father. People often debate sometimes whether some of the Psalms are Christocentric and about Christ. Yes, they are. Just depends on what sense and what, what aspect of his work it might be focusing in on. One time I even saw something questioning whether Psalm 110. I think it was from a fairly reliable source, otherwise that Psalm 110 was not about Christ, which was patently ridiculous because Jesus himself quotes from Psalm 110 uh, and patently makes clear that it's speaking of him. So the Psalms speak of Christ because I know that some people will say, well, where is the name of Christ? He is the Messiah, the anointed one. He is that perfect man who obey the law perfectly he is the one who can come into the presence of god him and him alone so all the psalms speak of christ and we exalt christ now if you have any questions on that you can email me miguelfilms at gmail.com but i encourage you because i think one thing one myth that gets circulated a lot when people are talking about singing the psalms it doesn't speak of Christ. You know, we compare with hymns and all this. No, 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 no. It speaks far more of Christ than any hymn ever composed. Why? Because it goes so much more than just saying his name. It talks about his character. It talks about his heart. It talks about his suffering. It talks about his estrangement from the Father on the cross at the start of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So it goes far further than any of us, any of our pens ever could. 
So that by way of an introduction. And again, feel free to, while we are having our discussion, we're going to be going through some Bible passages. We're, we're, we're going to be talking some. Again, my purpose in doing this is not to point out per se. Again, I may use one or two examples during the program, but it is not in order to be sensationalistic or whatever else like this or alarmist. I am deeply concerned. This is why I'm doing this program. I'm deeply concerned for something that destroys churches far more than anything else, I would say. Far more than false doctrine. Often there's an element of false doctrine within it that will cause the gossip, the slander. But at the same time, how many, we all, I think we all know churches that have been split down the middle because of he said, she said nonsense. And often, here's what happens. Both sides, to greater or lesser degree, are wrong. There's something usually done that this is not to say that you just, oh, well, you say there's no controversies you never get into and you can step back and, you know, basically you create like a third wave, you're just mocking everybody else. That's not, not what I'm talking about. But there's a often, often what, and I'm talking about it, within the church, it's usually you know, oh, I can't believe he did that. And sometimes it'll be something like, well, the pastor said something to someone, it was misunderstood. And before you know it, they say it to somebody else, they're very offended and it spreads to somebody else and spreads to somebody else. Before you know it, perhaps a whole faction within that church who are just waiting for an opportunity, that was just like the, the straw or a tiny bit of fuel and, and, and the match that, ign that animosity towards that person for whatever reason. Satan loves when we're fighting with each other. Absolutely love it. Loves it. But we also have to, but Satan also loves when we ignore error. So how do we be balanced? We must be close to the word of God at all times. We must cleave to the word of God, love it, but also realizing we're going to be wrong. We are not the standard of, of truth. And it is not our job, necessarily, to fix all of the church. And I'm talking about, here's what I'm talking about in terms of gossip, rumor, slander, hearsay on a macro level, or on a micro level, sorry, especially think of your local church. The problem is the internet makes that far worse because things in, on Twitter and everything else can be so easily misunderstood the heart you have for a person often gets lost. That close interaction, that warmth is lost, even in a program like this. <laughs> if I lost count, the amount of times people think, you know, people think I'm really, really serious. And I, I, I take what I do seriously. But often, look, when I'm, I'm probably a bit of a goofball. 
most of the time. And that doesn't come out in the program. And I don't want it to come out in the program. I don't want to turn this program into a goofball thing. Um, I guess my point is often people can misunderstand each other. That can happen with ministers in the pulpit. That can happen all sorts of things. Now apply this and this kind of misunderstanding that often happens in churches and division that happens in churches on a grand scale. And why do why does gossip start in the first place? It can start for many different reasons, but it it is often this. You don't like the person. So you don't like the person and you hear an ill report against them, you're you're willing to receive it. If you love the person more, you're going to swat it away. And again, we all fail to varying different levels in this area. Apply this to someone. Here's like, and here's the state of play right now. How many people, including Christian ministries, especially online ones and other ones, are annoyed with the lockdown, are frustrated with the lockdown? And I certainly sympathize with those people who are alone, who where it's just themselves and a screen for the month or two. That sounds honestly horrendous. And I pray that you have people calling you and things like that and everything else like that. I mean, that is extremely hard. I'm, I'm so blessed to have my family around me. But people are annoyed. And people now want someone to blame. Inside in the church, it can be somebody to blame for the lack of growth. Somebody to blame for why their friend left. Somebody to blame. And Satan can be whispering in their ear, whatever the case may be, that the cause of the problems, and this happens in churches, is the person in the pulpit. And the, the cause of the problems is probably nothing to do with them, maybe. Perhaps it's something, or perhaps it's a perceived problem. Whatever the case may be, there's something we're annoyed with. There's something we're disappointed with. There's something going wrong in our lives, and we want someone to blame. And now we have coronavirus. Now we have a case where a horrible situation for many people's jobs, businesses, and everything else the unemployment rate, I was looking at like somewhere like the United States, and I picked the United States just because the statistics are readily available compared to other places. The unemployment rate going from 4% in March to 14.7% in April. So people are angry, and people want someone to blame. And when people want someone to blame, they are ready to find somebody. Who is, who is planning this? Who is in control? Well, guys, ultimately, God is in control. God is in complete control. I know we, we just a little aside about, we like to complain about the media. We like to complain about the politicians. But our media and our politicians are but fruits of our society. Let me be clear. Our politicians, our media, 
How, how does the media stay in business? Oh, but they're doing this, this. Who, how do they stay in business? Oh, it's these big multi... They're not charities. People read them. And the, the media we have, and the politicians we have as well, who have, they don't believe the scriptures. They're an enemy with God. And we are shocked then when people at war with God do evil and wicked things. The nations, the United Kingdom, where I live, Northern Ireland, we need to turn back to God. We need to repent as a nation and turn to God. Hey, you can find all the, the dirt you want and name the person, Bill Gates or whatever else like that. These people, whatever they may have done, not done, they are not in control. God is in control. And are we worried more about the wrath of nefarious plans? And to be honest, anyway, we won't get into that. But are we more worried about the wrath of man or the wrath of God? What difference can we make on a human level? Are we judges? Are we police officers? No. Yet we, we, we are distracted away from things that we should be doing. Prayer. Meditating on the word of God. Don't tell me for a second that the, the, the nonsense being spread around, the speculative nonsense in many of these, there's every few days, there's a new theory. There's a new speculation. Some of it's not necessarily conspiracies. Sometimes it's, it's scientific speculation. And sometimes people are desperate for some kind of hope, some kind of cure that will come up, or whatever else may be. I just say to that, I understand that, but you need to be patient. There's not going to be a vaccine for the next 18 months. It's just not going to happen. It's very unlikely. So people debating, well, I am not going to get it. It's just not going to happen. Generally speaking, it, chances are it probably won't happen at all. Probably won't happen for the first two years. It's very unlikely. In the history of medicine, it just doesn't typically happen. They're trying, of course. And it may well happen. But I wouldn't bank on it. Anyway. We want someone to blame. This is where it stems from. We're angry and we want a, we want a boogeyman. And... Areas that people had never seemed to have an interest in before. They're all of a sudden now experts on medicine. Medicine is one of the hardest areas. It is a, such a difficult area. I mean, this is why you'll get sometimes people who don't specialize in a certain area will have such a way off view. It usually takes people decades before they can make any scientific breakthrough in an area. I talked before in the last, I think it was episode 411, I was talking about Elizabeth Holmes. And I understand in the United States, there's actually a documentary about Elizabeth Holmes. She started a company called Theranos. And she came up with this idea 
that just get a little drop of blood. She wanted to be the Bill Gates of medicine. And she was obsessed with him. Was it Steve Jobs? No, sorry, Steve Jobs. Sorry. Who was the guy with the turtleneck? Anyway, black turtleneck, you know who I'm talking about. Anyway, so Elizabeth Holmes, her invention never worked. She wanted to do over 200 tests, blood samples, all that kind of stuff. It never worked. By the end of it, her company was worth, I think, something like $9 billion. All sorts of people invested in her because it sounded amazing. But it took a Wall Street Journal journalist to go, wait a minute, something's off. Some Stanford dropout comes up with some amazing cure for what? And, and a few people sent him some emails and things like that. Um, I can't remember the, the name of the journalist, but the whole story's been blown now. And I think she's facing fraud charges at this point, probably facing a couple of decades in prison, I, I'd imagine. It's very easy to fool people when it comes to medicine. Because we're, we're desperate for hope. And it's very easy when it comes to theories, when it comes to speculation, when it comes to all sorts of things. We, it's a whole world most of us don't understand. So within that world that most of us don't understand, I have a brief history in biomedical science. A brief time work, and I say brief, working work in the hospital lab. Interpreting the data is not the same as just having the data in front of you. It takes many years of looking through the evidence, trying to understand the evidence. And I, you know what? I am so glad the Lord kept me out of labs years ago because I would just, I would probably have been a disaster. But anyway, that was years ago. Anyway, so let's go through James chapter 3. James chapter 3. And we'll be talking about the tongue and the severity of this. We have to understand conspiracy theories are not just kind of like, hmm, I wonder what you think about the Kennedy assassination or the moon landing. Mm, that's interesting. This is idle gossip, hearsay, weaponized against the person you want to blame for the situation you're in. And that can be, put your name on it. It's the Chinese all behind it, or it's the Illuminati, or it's whoever, the Bilderberg Group, or whatever. And I know I, I do realize the Bilderberg Group exists and met, but their group, we don't know what they talked about half the time, and the journalists who, who report to them don't have the greatest reputation. We can't fill in the gaps with group meet secretly. We can't. Because otherwise we're going to end up in David Icke territory back in the 1990s where they're all lizards. Ah, sure, why not? Sure, maybe when they're, when they're behind doors, they're going visiting their home planet. Okay, that's absurd. But talk to another person and they may not think that's absurd. That's why we must limit ourselves to the data. We must be, as Christians, we must be discerning. Shouldn't we be discerning? Shouldn't we just kind of go, I'm not saying ignore things. Maybe watch something go, hmm, 
okay, I don't know what to make of that. Uh, maybe I'll ask my friends. I got a friend here involved in medicine. What do they think? Or another friend, and what do you think of that? Is there any problems with us? Or just sitting it for a few days. What do we do today? The latest theory by, okay, I, I'll probably have to mention pandemic, um, by a person who is fired and stole research and, and things like that, um, doesn't have the greatest reputation anymore in the scientific community. She's clearly annoyed and wants to bring back her reputation. She has a book to sell and here she is and everybody buys it. Rather than, hey, let's just wait and see. There's a ninth commandment issue here. If, you, if somebody's saying something serious and slanderous about you, you would want people to wait for the evidence. But we don't wait for the evidence. It fits our confirmation bias, so we click send. Oh, I don't tr trust that Fauci guy. Why? Well, lost my job. It's, it's his fault. We want someone to blame. And I know we're annoyed. I know a lot of people are suffering. But slander, no matter who it is of, is wrong. Anyway, finally we'll get to our James chapter 3. And we're going to, we'll, look, we'll read all of James chapter 3. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we shall, we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in the word, he is a perfect man. Also, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us. And we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by the fierce winds, they are turned by a very large rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. And I think we forget that not just the tongue. Any, the tongue is a means of communication. The tongue is what we release out, the tongue, no doubt, includes the keyboard. Verse, continuing on midway through verse 5, see how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so said among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire, the course of nature, and it sets on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, or reptile, or creature of the, of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have made in the similitude of God, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? 
Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives? Or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. And we'll get onto this, the later part in a second, but see how dangerous the tongue is. See how dangerous the Twitter account is. See how dangerous the Facebook, the Instagram, there's probably others I don't even know of, is. Would we, in a conversation, pick, pick your controversial topic? Say, for example, you go to your friend's house and you know they are rapidly against, against vaccinations. And you go in there and immediately you just say, here's the latest report. Boom. Right in front of their face. But the, the safety of vaccines and how everybody else who disagrees with you is crazy. What kind of a reaction do you think you get? And that's kind of what happens on a, on a mass scale on social media. I'm not saying we shouldn't share stuff, but we should make sure it is credible. We should make sure, we can't just gonna go, well, make up your own mind. Pick a, a ludicrous example, at least it was a ludicrous example 10 years ago. If somebody said that the earth was flat, and there are millions of flat earthers around the world now. It's a bizarre thing, right? That if you just, could you imagine if a Christian pastor shared that and just say, you know, make up your own mind. I'm not sure if the earth is flat or, flat or not. And based upon the, the research of, there's a couple of guys I can think of who promoted this in somewhat charismatic Christian circles. One guy was a bit funky on the Trinity. And what will that do for your credibility? The people who are going to go, that is bizarre. You believe that? Well, what's that going to do for the Christian message? What's that going to do for the gospel proclamation? If you're not sure, don't share it. Don't share it. I think there's a there's a level of humility here. If if someone in your family has a burst appendix, you don't Google how to perform an operation on the person. You get them into hospital. Why? Because you can't do it. You don't have the training. And same with the research. Let people who've spent probably 10, 15, 20 years, maybe 30 years, 40 years in that area and have some respect for the fact that they trained in that area. But we don't. I was listening to somebody the other day, a conservative talk show host with a very, very low opinion of people in with PhDs. And I know the, of course, just because somebody's got a PhD doesn't mean they should be listened to on everything. And, and we've seen a couple of examples this week. But at the same time, we shouldn't rubbish it either. People have went for many years and trained hard. Surely their opinion of somebody with a PhD in medicine or several people with PhDs in medicine is worth more 
than a newspaper columnist who's never darkened the door of a lab in his life. I'm just saying. And, and the thing is, it's very easy to create theories, hearsay. There's very little peer review going on these days. Nothing, really, from what I can see. No official peer review because they just don't have time. And it's very easy in that circle to create a myth. To create... And we're in a, we're in a dangerous point. We're at a very, very dangerous point in history. I don't know if you've seen this. We have very low respect for authority. Very low. Very low respect for parental authority in the home. Very low respect for authority in the state. Very low respect for authority in the church. In the home. There's a reluctance to discipline children. There's a massive reluctance around the place to discipline children. Of course, the other extreme is horrible too, but a loving discipline must be done. And I think because there was probably a harsh generation maybe 20 years ago that were a bit rough with the, the kids and it was a bit externalistic, then there's a generation of children, or, you know, when they have children themselves, they're afraid to even discipline their kids and you end up with unruly kids. Kids who can't sit still for more than five seconds. And that becomes the new norm. And you wonder why they are not listening to you, doing whatever they want at 15, 16, 17, 18. Because they were never disciplined. They were never corrected as the Bible laid out. There's also massive disrespect for authority in the state. And we see a lot of that. And we don't, see, we don't want to listen. So here's the thing, right? I don't expect, in the first century, the Roman Empire, the Caesars, weren't completely consistent either. And they did wicked things. And if they commanded the Christians to do something that was against God's law, the Christians were to disregard it and ignore it. However, if it was lawful, the Christians must submit to it. That's why Paul, in the midst of that wicked Roman Empire, could write Romans 13. We have, a ver we, we have a visceral reaction to Romans 13. And we also, with church discipline, I would say that church discipline is a very low ebb. I'm not saying it's the first time it's ever happened in history. It's clearly not. But the problem is when church discipline hits a low ebb, heresies will run amok because people are afraid to say anything. People are afraid to get into arguments and things like that. And it doesn't need to be like that. It can just be, church discipline can be very much simply one-on-one -on -one with a brother in Christ saying to the person, brother, I don't, I don't think you should have done that. And then they repent and, and the issue is over. Part of Matthew 18. But if it's serious enough, and it might have to go to before the brothers, and it might have to go before the church, if it escalates, or depending on the severity of it and all this kind of thing. But it's done for restoration. It's done out of love. It's done for the benefit of the person and for the benefit of the church. 
Because if you look at places like Revelation, chapter 2, verses 15, 16, 17, if a church tolerates and compromises error, on error, Jesus says he will fight against that church with the sword of his mouth. These are the same covenantal curses spoken about very similarly in places like Leviticus 26. So we're very low, and look, I have seen plenty of examples of people who've been excommunicated. And I've seen ministers ignoring the excommunication of a certain person. And I've seen it on Facebook and places like that where people will jolly up. I can think of a number of examples. It broke my heart. If somebody is under church discipline, you're not to have contact with them. And I'm just saying, that's one example. We have a... We break out in hives when we think about submitting. Why wouldn't God judge us when we're like that? Why would God leave our churches the way they are when we're so apathetic? When, when no one can tell us what to do? And when there's any approach of hardship, we spread malicious gossip. Memes are not evidence. YouTube videos are not evidence. Why? Because they've not, they've maybe had some quote taken out of context from the 1990s from some person and they've spliced it together and that's it. And people do it in, people do it in local churches, people do it in businesses, people do it online. They invent a narrative, a meta narrative about somebody. Before you know it, that narrative's taken on a life of its own. That's the tongue. That's the danger of the tongue. The tongue is set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. Can we think of anything more dangerous than fire in a home? Can we think of anything that makes us more nervous? People will have smoke alarms put into their homes and they realize how quickly a fire can get out of control, and so it is with rumors. If something is libelous, it doesn't matter who it's against. If, so, if it's a ninth commandment issue, oh, but this is a... If you don't know, you are participating in lies. You are participating in passing it on. You are also guilty. You are not the originator of the lie, but you are participating in it and how it spreads like fire, how it can burn down a whole building, how it can spread across. It was, was it the Australian fires? Was that earlier this year? You know, it's, so much has happened since then that weirdly that the fires in Australia are barely remembered anymore. It's uh, how much has happened over the last few months. 
It says in verse 7 of James chapter 3, For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature is of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. And here's the thing, with that same tongue, because we, we do so much damage with the tongue, we do so much damage with the keyboard. Because now there's no delay. Before, if you wanted to publish a book, you'd have to go through an editor and check it. Now you can publish a book, an ebook, publish it online. Nobody has to check it, think it. Twitter, just, there's like no delay. There's no thought often put into what we share. <laughs> you think of the, you know, President of the United States right now, Donald Trump. He isn't using discernment. He shares, I saw him today, sharing articles from the Daily Caller. That, that is politi political punditry. And I think there was something about, was it WHO and China? And some of them may be right, but that's, that's a news outlet. That's why he's got intelligence agencies that should be advising him on that. Oh, no, we can't trust them because they are in control. Yeah, there are some bad, corrupt individuals in every government, and they should be removed, and et cetera, and so on. But this idea of a monolithic cabal all working together, this monolithic big brother all doing the same thing. Here's the, here's the reason why they all tend to go in the same direction. Our hearts, our unregenerate hearts, are sinful, wicked, and evil. It doesn't take people getting behind closed doors to often agree on the hatred of Christianity. That has been our nature, as natural as breathing air since the fall of Adam. It says, out of the same mouth in James 3, verse 10, out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things are not to be so. Does a spring set forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree and my brethren bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you? And there's a lot of talk about they, some shadow group, insert the shadow group. They'll call them the elites. They'll call them, what was the, oh, the gatekeepers. What are you talking about? And this has become fairly common parlance at this moment in time. It's become more and more common. And I'm talking about formerly reliable Christian ministries. I'm talking about ones that a couple of years ago would have castigated you for even bringing up politics in the first place. I wasn't even wrong in that area. There's a number of people now who can no longer listen 
to something like The Dividing Line, hosted by James White, because of this drift towards conspiracy theories. And I'll be honest, I, I've never been a fan, but I, I've, been a la- I've been kind of taken aback by the direction that he's gone over the last couple of years. It's been kind of bizarre. Well, it's been sad. And um, I'd hope you pray for him. I have difficulty telling the difference between InfoWars, Alex Jones or David Icke or somebody like that, and some of the tweets that have come out lately. And you have to ask yourself, is when you're reading that stuff, that kind of stuff, does it bring peace to your soul? That whatever you face, you can face it. The Spirit of God equipping you, enabling you, You've kept the promises of God before your eyes, etc., and so on. Or does it fill you with dread, hopelessness, and despair? Brethren, it doesn't matter what's going on. I'm not saying we don't talk about it. I'm not saying we don't speak out about it. But we, we do it in a certain way. We do it in a certain... We do it clothed in hope, with joy, with peace. We don't start thinking some shadow group, even if one existed, and there's very little evidence that there's any one group. This Look, there are secret groups, secret societies out there, but there's tons of them. There are tons of them. No Christian should be a member of a secret society. Ever. But the danger is with secret societies is when people have no accountability, it's all clandestine, People can't see what they're doing and all that. Generally, in the dark is when people do evil. That's why. <laughs> That's why that these groups, picket Freemasonry or Skull and Bones, whatever else in Yale, they tend to keep with their own. And you know what they're all saying? It's not what you know, it's who you know. So people gen- t- tend to stick together. And yes, Look, I am not saying that there are not there are legitimate conspiracies. If you're a journalist, there's been some legitimate conspiracies, huge ones that have been exposed. And people have written seven, eight hundred page books documenting miscarriages of justice. There's stuff I look into. Okay? There's stuff I've been looking into for years. Okay. I'm not gonna mention it because <laughs> people can ask me my opinion on it. And I don't know. I actually don't, like, I, I don't even know what to make, you know, there's, there's all sorts of stuff um, that came out, you know, the Franklin scandal back in the 1980s. Um, and, and that scandal went right up to the White House, apparently, and weird stories. A bit like the whole Jeffrey Epstein kind of stuff. There's some really ev- evil stuff that goes on in the world. And you know what? A, evil stuff... Weird stuff went on in the time of Paul, too. It went on in the time of David. What did they do? Were they trying to find out every single inner working, every secret meeting? Where they could, where they could see it, they'd speak out against it, etc. and so on. But what they would focus, what their focus was upon was the word of God and the law of God. And the need for all men everywhere to repent and believe the gospel. But when you lose sight of that, 
when you get drift, when you get taken away either towards politics or an even stronger drug again, conspiracy theories based on speculation, it's kind of like, oh, we have found the group responsible and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to expose them. We're going to bring them down. We're going to, and this kind of thinking can happen in the local church. The people who are spreading rumors, false rumors in churches that split them, they are conspiracy theorists. Okay, they might not read it, they might not talk about the United Nations or whatever else it may be, but they have conspiracy theories for the local church. They have conspiracy theories about the, the, the shop. Call it what you will, it is idle gossip, it is hearsay, and with you need evidence. You need evidence. Oh, but this person, their research was quashed and, and, and stolen. Bring it to the courts. Bring it to the courts. Oh, but the courts are corrupt too. And are you going to be judge and jury? Bring it to the courts. If you have a case to make, and if you have so much evidence, bring it before the courts. Oh, but you don't trust the courts either. You don't tr People get to the point then when they don't trust the judges, any judge, any of the police, they don't trust people in science, they don't, you, you get on that route, you, you know, you might not even trust me at this point, what'll happen? Paranoia. And who, who do you think's happier? Who do you think's happy with that? When you're trusting nobody, when you have suspicion, when you are making up stories about different people who you don't know anything about, Probably people you've never read their books or anything. The devil. The ninth commandment to not lie about your neighbor is not just your Christian neighbor. Anybody. So, for example, I am not any fan of, say, President Obama. Okay? The previous president of the United States. No fan of him whatsoever. But that does not give me a right and, and say that it's okay that I can just make up stories about him and speculate what crime he was involved in was not involved in. I'll say, hmm, that's troubling. How about we investigate that and let the courts do what they're, what they're to do? And we let the facts of the case emerge over time. But we don't want to do that. Because you end up trusting nobody and nothing. And you end up in a kind of an anarchy. So who do you trust? If you're the ultimate conspiracy theorist, you're going to trust you. You're going to trust you. How do I know that the Bible was translated properly? Oh, no. I don't know. Do I trust that rendering there? King James I hear he was in a in a, some secret cult. Did you see the first the picture on the front of the original King James Bible? How about the Geneva one? Oh, look at the images there. Where does it end? Where does it end? I hope you can see this goes in a very dangerous direction. How do I know all this? Because I've been down that road for a while. When I got say, look, I got into conspiracy theories and all this kind of stuff 
Bohemian Grove, depopulation, eugenics, blah, 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 in about 2008. I got saved in 2009. March of 2009. Brought up my first movie, The Power Behind the New World Order, one that I... It's okay. There's some okay bits in it, but it's I, I don't recommend watching it. It's not a great movie. I have deleted it from the website and I've distanced myself from it. But that movie came out in 2010, I think it was one year after I was saved, and it was kind of like my bye bye to that conspiracy movement, and it was like my gospel tract to the conspiracy movement because I didn't like the direction it was taking. I didn't like the fruit of it, the paranoia, the lack of research, the lack of evidence. Oh, believe me. <laughs> People say, have you researched? Yes, sadly, I have researched all this stuff. I spent, this is years ago now, years ago now, looking into, the, you know, the Bavarian Order of the Illuminati. Started in 1776 by Adam Weishaupt. <sighs> disbanded in 1786 and there's no zero evidence to support that they have spread beyond there there you go oh but they spread into freemasonry that's a far-fetched theory which has no evidence oh but george washington quoted it said they were over in america i'm sure there was a few of them over there but that does not mean they were even successful <sighs> look if you're into this stuff i get it i get it but you know what you got to do sometimes? I'm not saying don't study history. I'm not saying that there aren't some legitimate stuff at times. But what I am what you need to do is limit yourself to the data. And people who've studied something for decades, they're going to sound pretty boring to you. They're going to go, nah. Do you know, the more you know about a topic, if you know about history, you're going to go, mm, not that, not that, uh, maybe that. Because you know the variables involved. You have more experience in the area. Listen to people who have more experience than you do. I think it's mostly a humility issue. We think, we think that we can figure everything out. We have no trust for the government. I'm not saying we trust the government explicitly in everything they do. Of course, I'm not saying that. But we have such distrust for the government that we're just saying, well, everything, it's, it's the opposite of that. We have such distrust for the media, earned, by the way, large amounts, but we go to the complete opposite. Some things the media says is true. We've got to read what they say and think. Use our critical thinking faculties. There has been good scientific research done in the last 20, 30 years. The world continues to spin. Yes, of course, some of these people are evolutionists, and we reject that because the Bible is very clear that there was no death before Adam. Okay? The Bible is our final authority. But let's be careful not to be reactionaries, not to be kind of violent revolutionaries, which is the direction it could take us. 
I fear one of the reasons I'm doing this program. I thought the program I did in episode 411 would have been enough. The reason I'm doing this program, I am deeply concerned with the direction of a number of ministries in the last couple of weeks. And I don't know, I haven't followed them that much beforehand. Some very good ones still out there. Some of them are, have got some kind of a scientific background, but also know about the Bible. And they go from both. They might be based in creation and all that. If you can find a solid ministry, somebody with, that's a good one to follow. Um, I've never been much into the whole creation thing. I had a, I, I had a background where I believed in evolution, but I never really had much of a problem accepting it. I never, I was just like, well, that's what Genesis 1 to 3 says. And, Different people struggle with different things, brethren. Anyway, so um, let's talk for a minute about what our conduct should be. Here's the danger of the tongue, but let's talk about what our conduct should be in First uh, Corinthians chapter 13. And that's, um, sorry, I haven't been paying attention on um, the chat room, so I'm going to have a quick, brief look. So I'm not, there's a, somebody in the chat room saying something about, yeah, about discipline or something like that. Biblical church discipline is not about revenge. It may be used by some people about, in revenge, and that's evil and that's wrong. But it is all about reconciliation with each other and as a church toward God. If you go to the book of Joshua, Chapter 7, briefly look at it there, preached a message on it there a few months ago. Um, and who was it fell into sin? Oh, Achan, Achan, the son of Carmi, fell into sin. And there was wrath, the wrath of God was upon the whole congregation. So the people of God fell into sin. Achan took the, the cursed thing before God. And they carried out biblical church dis they carried out church discipline. They they stoned him to death. That was the Old Testament uh, judicial law. And there was reconciliation before God. So a church must carry out church discipline. Or it's going to drift away from God. Loving church discipline. And that can be when church discipline is being carried out. I don't know the full cases of the person who's um full details so I don't want to speculate or anything like that. But if it's done with love, if, a, if, if somebody is under discipline, it's, and if it's done the right way, with patience and love, that means the church really cares about that person. They want reconciliation. Okay? There's different levels of discipline. There might be somebody might be kept away from the Lord's table or something like that. And then there might be, which is the most drastic one, excommunication, which I talked about earlier is where you're to treat them like a tax collector and a heathen, basically an enemy of God, and you're not supposed to have any contact with them. That's the whole point of it. And you, pr that, and you, don't, want to, you don't want it to get there. It's the last resort. And you pray that they will come back repentant 
and that they'll be able to come back into fellowship again. That's the whole point of if, if anybody is using church discipline as a weapon, it's evil. It's turning it completely on its head. It's all to do reconciling. Somebody falls into sin, they are estranged with there's disunity. Somebody's backslidden. Take an you know, extreme example, say somebody falls into pornography or drunkenness or something like that. Then they're estranged between them and God's people. And if the church accepts it and does nothing, then they're going to drift as a body away from God because they have tolerated sin. Biblical church dis discipline is essential or the church will eventually die. Why do I say that? Because it'll be a, a, an atmosphere where those who are living in rebellion against God are comfortable and those who are not living in in rebelling against God, will be uncomfortable. Sin will be promoted and tolerated and left to happen. And it's what we're commanded to do. And this goes right back to Old Testament church, New Testament church. It has always been there. Paul talks about giving certain, the apostle Paul talks about giving certain people over to Satan and things like that for destruction of the flesh. Talk about church discipline. It must be done. We, we discipline our children because we love them. Not because we're angry, we shouldn't do it because we're angry with them. If somebody, if a, if a pastor or ministers are using church discipline to bully somebody, then they are a tyrant. That's not what it's supposed to be for. But, but also don't misunderstand the elders. You might think that they're being unloving towards you if you are under discipline and you might be, oh, I can't believe they've done that to me, you know. They love you. They love you so much if they're doing it in the right manner. They love you so much, they'll even go through a period where, Lord willing, you'll only dislike them for a while and you'll actually repent. It's easier for people to want to be liked by people and to seek that. They'll go along with the crowd. That's why people go along with the crowd so much. Fear of man. Okay, First Corinthians chapter... 13, I will just do a few minutes here like on what we should be doing. Um, chapter 13, which talks about that famous chapter on love. And we need to be reminded of the basics. And we need to be reminded of is spreading of gossip, hearsay, speculation. I don't care who sent it to you or how much you trust the judgment of that person. Don't share it unless you know it to be true. I don't care who the malicious gossip is against. It might be somebody you don't even like. And generally, you'll share it because you don't like the person who it's against. And you'll get angry if you like the person. We should aim to be truthful in anything we disseminate. I was emailing a brother in the Lord. I was a bit surprised. Um, some of these conspiracy videos coming out from this particular ministry. And um, 
I'm being shared around, and w- the response I got was, and this was in the private correspondence, was the person that they got it from was somebody they trusted, and it was cons- it was conservative. We can't do that. I'm. I'll give you like I'll give you two examples. They're not Christian examples. I'm deeply concerned from from a media point of view, like Daily Wire, who I loved for years and I thought they were great. Bar maybe the odd one, maybe like Ben Shapiro and a few others, have gone almost. They have gone towards Infowars. I'm not saying that, but they're kind of going that direction. Um which is uh, surprising and concerning, and same with Prager University, some of the stuff that they put out. And I'm, like, uh, I'm not saying that they've gone to that extent, but it often doesn't take much. We should aim to be loving, and loving requires us being careful about what we spread. Again, the ninth commandment comes up because it is part of the second table of the law, love toward our neighbor. Though I speak, it says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, though I speak and think of though as if, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. So Paul here writes, on the inspiration of the Spirit of God to the Corinthians, if I speak with, with the tongues of men and of angels, but if I don't have love, I'm become a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. I'm just, it's worthless. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith. Paul is not saying that he has these things, by the way. He's speaking hyperbolically. He's saying, even if this was true, but as he goes on to say, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. No bestow all my goods to feed the poor. And though I give my body to be burned, I have I have not love. Profits me it profits me nothing. So here's hypothetical situation. Paul cannot speak all tongues. He he does not understand all mysteries when he wrote this. But he said even if this was true, and if he doesn't have love, it doesn't profit me. And it doesn't matter how much information you have, knowledge puffs up. Verse 4, love suffers long and is kind. I should make us pause before we send anything or before we say anything. Does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up. I will share some information with regards to the COVID thing just to help people, stuff that's not alarmist. I, I recommend the research of Dr. Michael Osterholm. The reason is because he's been talking about this for decades, and he's not saying anything different to what he said back in 2006. He said a scenario of this nature was inevitable, and he works. He's a very well-respected epidemiologist and works in public health. He doesn't go into wild speculation like some of the models do. Uh, he's very cautious in in what he predicts. He sticks to the data. So I recommend him. And I there's a lot of other news floating around. And I try to avoid all the speculation, all the latest, what the journalists are trying to fill all the newspapers with. 
I share that not to say, hey, hey, I know all this stuff. No, I don't. And I'm, from what I can see, his judgment seems to be pretty sound and he's been very consistent. And Michael Osterholm was, I don't know if he was the first person to declare this a global pandemic and everybody poo-pooed him back, I think it was January 18th, long before the WHO. Okay, so that's why if somebody's consistent over a long period of time, I want to listen to that person. Doesn't mean he's right on everything. So I I don't want to be just, hey, I'm going to be looking up all this stuff. I'm going to figure it all myself. No. Sometimes you got to know we've got to listen to people. If you are sick, you need to go to a doctor and get the advice of a doctor. And if you don't have a good doctor, get a good doctor and all this kind of stuff. But don't think you can figure everything out. And I think, it's, again, it's a pride issue. It's a pride issue. We need to humble ourselves to realize, you know what? There are some areas. My car is broken. I want to go to a mechanic. I don't want to go to the mechanic who 10 years ago was fired and has an axe to grind against the boss and is now spreading rumors against the boss and selling a book against the boss. I want to go with reputable mechanics who have a good track record. That's what wisdom would say. What Love suffers long as kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Look. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will it will vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. So the importance of love. We need to be, if it's to be loving, it's to be kind. It's to not envy, it's not parade itself, it is, and look at this here, it's not provoked, thinks no evil. Think about your testimony before the world. Did they see joy and peace in Jesus Christ? No matter what is happening, the world will look at us and go, I don't completely understand that, but Wow, look at that. He's just joyful. He's singing to his king. Not that he's turning a blind eye to evil or anything like that. I'm not saying that, but there's a balance to it. That we realize it is under the sovereign hand of God. And that God is in complete control. And that he's not ours on Twitter. He's ours on his knees. Because God is in control not what we disseminate, not the information we get out there. Are we, are we thinking evil of various people? Are we sharing rumors? Are we sharing hearsay, gossip, 
are we speculating and and thinking that our speculation is really facts that it's really an educated opinion brethren or perhaps if you're not a christian what damage that will do there's a lot of people who have no background let's just go with the medicine issue there's no, a lot of people no background in medicine whatsoever and they're the most vocal and the people who actually do know what they're talking about, they're often the least vocal. They are desperately trying to get together a plan and to study as much about this virus as possible. And the research community, professors of biology, epidemiology, immunology, in an effort to save lives. Stop sharing lies that people are happy about this. Everyone is suffering. This is not a time for politicizing pop shots. This is a time to be kind, to think no evil. I'm, I'm particularly tired of people... I know the left support evil things. I get that. And we should call it out when they do. But let's not think that they're rubbing their hands together and they get their jollies out of being in lockdown. I don't think anybody's getting their jollies. There's no evidence to say that everybody's like, woohoo, people are dying. We have totalitarian government. There's no evidence for that. And that is spreading malicious lies. I don't care that they may have done evil in another place. Whatever the case may be, you don't have any evidence to think that now. And yes, we know in a general sense that they, do, they will not seek after God. We can say that because that is written in the scriptures. But let's stick with the data. Let's go no further and let's... Let's not attribute the worst motives possible. Let's attribute the best motives possible. Of course, when somebody says, I love God, but they're... They don't follow Jesus. We know that it's not true because we know from the word of God. But let's not think we can beyond those surmisings. Beyond that, we can't get inside somebody's brain. Because that's, that's why conspiracies, in that sense, I'm not talking about sometimes people might disagree on an aspect of scripture. They will have a different opinion on this text or whatever. As long as we agree in the gospel, central truths and stuff like that, you might have maybe a slightly funky eschatology or something like that, but whatever the case may be, at the same time, I'm not, talk, I'm not including that here. Of course, some forms of eschatology are more prone towards conspiracy theories. I, I grant you that dispensationalism, for example, futurism, when it comes to the book of Revelation. But there are plenty, there are also dispensationalists and futurists who are not like that at all. I've been, I haven't listened to that much John MacArthur, but I've liked, over the last month or two, but I've heard a few things he's done for Ligonier, and it's been a breath of fresh air, some of the things he's been saying. Um, and he's a dispensationalist and a futurist, and not going to idle speculation about things. So while I say that, I don't say that every single person is, but there's more of a tendency for sure. Um, there doesn't seem to be any questions other than that. If you've got any questions, 
for Friday's program. I'm going to reduce the shows now down to two a week, mainly because um, <laughs> I, tried, I tried again three shows last week. I was dead on Thursday. I just kind of fell asleep in the middle of Thursday and for three hours. I'm also doing college work as well. So it's not just, I'm not just doing radio. I'm not just twiddling my thumbs around the place. I've, I've got, um, I've got a, I'm doing a couple of online courses in, in Greek and Hebrew and Hebrew is taking up a couple of hours a day. Um, I did like two tests today, short ones, but, uh, so that takes up time and that's my main focus. So if you keep me in your prayers, doing BioMesh at the moment, and it, it is brilliant. I love it. Hard work, but brilliant. Really rewarding. And um, I'm going to do a review on it when I'm done. Because I've only done a month of the Hebrew so far. I've been really, really blown away. It, was, it cost like 160, 170 pounds. I was like, oh, is this going to be worth it? Is it what? It is. It is. I, if you're serious about learning the biblical languages, I haven't done much of the Greek yet. I'm doing some of Bill Mounts' uh, stuff. Uh, the Hebrew is fantastic. I'm doing a reading too at the moment, in case anybody's wondering, in the Hebrew. and um, But I'll do a full review on that some stage in the future. If, if anybody's curious, and I'd like to encourage people, especially people in ministry, to um go to the biblical languages and if you if you if you're curious about that shoot me an email megidofilms at gmail.com even how you do the things because you're gonna have to use i got them stuffed in front of me here i don't know if you can see that typing in hebrew is uh it's an interesting new challenge for me but it can be done i can show you if you've got a mac so um so hopefully on Friday, it, look, unless something comes up, I don't plan on, um, I'm going to do the continued programs on the Westminster Larger Catechism on Friday. So remember I did it, this is not, it wasn't a live show last week, a bit of an experiment, but um, last Wednesday, we did a program on the first few questions of Westminster Larger Catechism. You can listen to that on MiguelRadio.com. It's not available on YouTube. But um, if nothing happens, and hopefully you know what they say, no news is good news, uh, we'll go through the Westminster Larger Catechism and Psalm 16. But send on any questions you may have and uh, any any suggestions for programs. So I'm Paul Flynn. May God bless you all. <laughs>